From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. This week, a new policy from Manhattan's District Attorney Cy Vance went into effect. His office will no longer prosecute people for using marijuana or possessing small amounts. I believe that it is more proportionate to the offense to have someone given a ticket to go pay a summons than it is to be arrested or to have a criminal record, which can affect their employment ability, can affect their housing ability, and it can affect their immigration status. Vance is not alone. Across the country, politicians and prosecutors in more and more states, including New York and New Jersey, have been pushing for greater legalization of marijuana. And in the nine states where it is already legal for recreational use, it's becoming big business in the billions of dollars. And that's despite the enormous hurdles that exist as marijuana remains illegal at the federal level. So how is this industry operating and who's set to profit from further legalization? Well, joining me to talk about the business of cannabis are Julie Weed. She regularly writes about marijuana for Forbes and The New York Times and Allison Martin, co-founder of Cannabis Wire. And Julie, from just a business point of view, what is the state of the industry? I'd say there's three main things going on. First of all, there's a lot of private investment. Some of the stigma in investing in cannabis is disappearing. Um, But at the same time, everyday financial transactions are really challenging. Cannabis companies generally can't open bank accounts, so they can't get loans to fund the business or write checks to suppliers. They can't deduct business expenses from federal taxes, and they usually have to pay their taxes in cash. And the last thing is there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, Trump's attorney general, Jeff Sessions, is very anti-marijuana, so he periodically makes threats and statements that completely rattle the industry. So that makes it sound like it doesn't really lend itself to a large company that wants to be careful about risk, that this is a lot more entrepreneurial and small business. Yeah, it's absolutely all mom and pop shops, or some people say mom and pot shops. But basically, because it's a Schedule One drug, it's against the law federally, so no large company will touch it at all. It puts their whole company at risk just by doing anything small in marijuana. So, Allison, can you give me a sense, though, of how the different states are approaching legalization, and does that have an effect on how the business model works? Yeah, so that affects the business in almost every way. Regulation, everything from what companies can actually grow, how much they can grow, how they obtain licenses, how much it costs to obtain licenses, whether out-of-state investors can come in without federal agreement that cannabis is legal and there's no access to banking. There's no uniform idea or approach to things like pesticide regulation to things like packaging. There's even no standardized regulation on what's considered cannabis-impaired driving or stone driving. So when each state decides to go forward with legalization, it's really a laboratory experiment within that state's border. So Julie, this is a fast-growing industry. Do you have a sense of how big it is, how big it could get? So BDS Analytics said there was $8.5 billion in sales in 2017 and expects the market in the U.S. to be $11 billion in 2018 and $23 billion in 2022. Um, Longer-term numbers tend to be pretty fuzzy because no one knows if national legalization is going to happen. And if national legalization happens, that would open up banking and the ability for large companies like pharmaceuticals, cigarette companies, and national retailers to jump in. So if you can imagine Costco selling like bales of marijuana That's some people's like dream future. Employment numbers are interesting, too. So at a time when retail people are losing their jobs, there's 120,000 employees in the cannabis industry in 2017, again, according to BDS Analytics. But the thing that's amazing is if it's already a billion dollar industry, it's still a largely all cash industry. Am I wrong there? Yeah, it is mostly cash. And that can actually be very dangerous for people to pay taxes Some entrepreneurs have to sort of stow cash in bundles and safes around town and surreptitiously go around and pick it up and deliver it in person in cash. 
to state tax offices where they stick it in cash counting machines and it can be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that these people are carrying around in their cars. And also just to pay suppliers like the plumber, you have to give the person $2,000 in cash or something like that. It's People feel very worried about their personal safety. Allison, how important is this new market for states that are collecting taxes? Well, incredibly important. I mean, the New York City Controller Report estimated that the state's cannabis market could be worth $3.1 billion. New York City accounting for about $1.1 billion of that. So for some context to zoom out a little bit, you know, 3.1 billion, that's bigger than Colorado and Washington combined. So it's potential for substantial tax revenue in New York State. Tax revenue from cannabis does look attractive, but Pew Trusts recently came out with a post about sin taxes and how they're sort of volatile. And, you know, cannabis as a quote unquote sin tax is at times up and down and not as reliable as other types of taxes. So, I mean, I do think that it's an important driver of the conversation and especially can be a talking point for for some lawmakers that may be a little bit more hesitant or reluctant to come around. Julie, I was recently in Colorado and coming from New York, I was really shocked at just seeing the number of retailers for cannabis. I was in a town that really had one paved road and there were two uh, dispensaries. I'm wondering if there is a market there, what would happen when big business does try and get in? If financial companies do say, you know what, we don't want to be cut out of this industry. We want to be able to process credit card transactions and provide loans. How could that change how cannabis works as a business? I think it would change it enormously. I think the floodgates would just open completely and large companies would come in. Small companies would pretty much get acquired or go out of business. Um, and actually, if small companies want to prepare for that, the best thing they can do now is establish a really strong brand, a strong following. And so they would be sort of the first to get snapped up by a larger company at a higher valuation because they would be bringing immediate value to that large company. Now, you know, there are a lot of arguments for or against decriminalizing the use of marijuana from a societal point of view. But I'm wondering, Julie, what are the financial pros and cons of decriminalizing it? I'd say that personal safety of not having to deal with cash all the time is a huge one. I think that just the leakiness of any cash business when it comes to taxes is a big one. Just the increase in employment of a legal business that's national would be like far more than 120,000 employees that are already in there, you know, from 2017. Allison? You know, larger scale decriminalization doesn't address the, the black or the illicit market, right? It actually, in a way, fuels it. Because if everybody can have access or possess cannabis, but there's no regulation of it, no production of it, where is it coming from? But for the consumer, it leaves really big question marks. The markets are maturing, so consumers are maturing. And I think, you know, people want to know what's in their cannabis. It's, it's not what it was at one point when consumers were just happy to have access. Now they want to have access to a more, a more regulated product. Julie, since this is a, a growing industry, you, you oftentimes will find people selling the odd product, even the hucksters that are out there. What's the most interesting thing that you've been pitched? Cannabis gyms, get high and work out. <laughs> Julie Weed regularly writes about marijuana for Forbes and the New York Times. And Allison Martin is co-founder of the website Cannabis Wire and a reporting adjunct at Columbia Journalism School. Thank you both for joining. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. I'm Charlie Herman. This is Money Talking from WNYC. 